if you've been at the services over the last um, few months on a Sunday morning, um, during the time when I've been sharing God's Word other than Easter Sunday, we've been looking at these verses from Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27 to 30. And for those that are not aware, they have come out of a part of the, the studies that I've been bringing on a Friday evening from the book of Philippians. And when I got to these verses to close up this first chapter, I felt that they were verses that needed to be brought and shared with the wider church rather than with just the handful or so that are gathered on a, Thursday, a Friday evening. And so as I began to share at these verses, look at these verses, it's turned out to end up to be three different studies. And so we're coming to the third of the studies this evening. And if you want to get the context of what I'm sharing this, this morning from what I've already shared, then if you want to give me your mobile number or email address after, I can send you the link so that you can go back and listen to study one and study two from these three. So let's read these verses. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. At the very beginning of these three studies, and this is the twelfth from study from Philippians chapter 1 and concluding this chapter, I broke these verses down into six different points and taking them from the verses, number one was, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Number two was stand firm in one spirit. Number three was with one mind strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Number four, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. Number five, know that it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then the fifth, sixth one was, be engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and still have. And so we've already looked at one to four, and so uh, from verses 27 to 28. And so this morning we'll look at those final two. Know that it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake and be engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and still have from verses 29 to 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear 
that I still have. In the previous points that I shared, uh, we considered that we need to become, or we need to be, a people of faith who will not be frightened by anything that the opponents of our faith might bring against us or seek to do to us. And Paul makes statements, two statements, that when they do bring something against us, firstly, it is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but on the other hand, it is also a clear sign to us of our salvation and that which is from God. So in these verses, we see two distinct groups and therefore for them both to be seen, there must be a line of demarcation that marks out the division between those who are the opponents of the gospel and those who are a people who are living their lives, as we read from verse 27, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And even though the language is not used in these two verses, it clearly portrays the need for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to first live holy lives and to live separated lives and to live lives that really are a stark contrast to those who are not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand this morning that all unbelievers are opponents of our faith by the simple fact that they are rejecting and refusing to believe and respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is because of this line of demarcation that the stark difference should be visible between believers and unbelievers and causes Paul to say, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Now on Friday evening Billy was sharing God's word and I've mentioned Friday evenings twice already and can I encourage you to come to the house of God on a Friday evening and a Wednesday evening when we have the prayer meeting. It's so sad that from such a large number of people that so few gather on a Wednesday and on a Friday evening when we come for prayer and when we come to gather around the word of God because God speaks through his word. And, and without sh any shadow of doubt on a Friday evening, God always challenges us with his word. And Billy was speaking on Friday evening and in a sense he spoke on this very subject that coming to faith should change us. In other words, when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be different. And Billy said this, when we fail to change, when we fail to allow the change to affect our lives, it affects our ministry to those outside. And this is very much along the lines of what I'm going to be sharing this morning. 
And looking deeper into these verses that we're looking at here in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is saying that we should count it a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. And humanly speaking, this is difficult to grasp because none of us would willingly want to suffer. But it is part and parcel of what following Jesus is really all about. In Luke 14, Jesus said that we need to count or consider the cost of being a disciple. And he starts by saying, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he continues with these words. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? And it cost Jesus to save us. He had to suffer way beyond anything we can ever begin to imagine. Therefore, when we count the cost of being a disciple, we are called not only to believe in Jesus, but to also accept that we will be willing to suffer along the road for his name's sake. I wonder how often we've said that we don't have any real idea of what it means to suffer such as do many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And we remember them, don't we, in our prayer. The suffering church in North Korea, in Eritrea, in the Middle East. And we could name so many different countries where our brothers and sisters suffer in a way that we cannot even understand ourselves. But we need to understand that there are degrees of suffering. And perhaps we should examine where we are as believers and maybe we are not suffering because we've caused the line of demarcation to be moved further towards the side of the world so that we are rarely different to the unbelievers. Or maybe we've even moved, removed the line of demarcation. We live more like what we used to be rather than what we should be as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it possible that the church in many places is almost ineffective because those who supposedly make up the church are not really any different to those who were called out in the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation where it says that they were neither hot nor cold. We give lip service to God, but we do not give life service. That is, we don't come to that place of surrendering all to the Lord Jesus Christ. And surrendering all means to give up the things of the world, to give up the unholy, to give up the unhealthy, to give up the unwholesome things of the world. Those things that the world calls pleasure. But we, as believers, need to see as pollutants that can cause us to become stale and stagnant in our faith if we allow ourselves to be involved in them. 
Just recently in our daily devotions, I've taken us through 1 John. And I give a plug for the devotions today. If anyone is not receiving them, I send them out Monday to Friday. Um, and I, I, I just don't send them on the weekend or bank holidays and when I'm on holiday. And if you're not receiving the daily devotions and you want them, then give your mobile number. And even though there's been problems this week, I'll ensure that you will uh, get them. But as I've been sharing from 1 John, I've been pointing us to that verse in 1 John 2.15. And it's a very clear verse that is so important. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And I wonder sometimes if some believers do not take in seriously what the Word of God is actually saying to us. We read it and pass over it. But God's word is a living word. It's a powerful word. And it's written to speak into our hearts, into our Christian experience. And John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And John continues, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of the life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But it's whoever does the will of God will abide forever. And again, I've mentioned recently, James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Secondly, is it also possible that we do not suffer as the people of God because we run away from the first hint the trouble could follow? It's possible, isn't it? By this I mean that when perhaps we need to stand up and be counted, we decide to clam up and shut up. It's easier not to say anything. It's easier to duck and dive than to stand up for truth and for righteousness. For example, someone in the workplace or in school or college or university, maybe a neighbour, maybe an unbelieving friend or an unbelieving family member begins to speak up about issues that we know we should be speaking out against because of our biblical worldview. And the standard we need to take. But instead, we decide to be silent. <coughs> After all, if I speak out, they may turn against me. But we need to understand that if we truly and honestly want to live for Jesus, then we may have to. We probably will, and definitely will, at times, have to be willing to suffer for his name's sake. And James makes an astonishing claim in his short letter in James 1, verses 2 to 3. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, or you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And I want to suggest this morning that if we're not willing to suffer a little, and that is to stand up in those little things, then 
we will not be able to persevere if the time comes when we will have to suffer a lot. We need to learn to suffer a little. Otherwise, we'll never suffer a lot. A little while back, it was last year, I commenced looking at the Beatitudes in Christ's Sermon on the Mount and uh, paused at them at the moment, but we will return to them. And one of them, which we've got yet to consider, is in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, which actually says that we will be blessed if we are persecuted. Now that seems difficult to understand. How can there be blessing in persecution? Uh, uh, blessed if you're persecuted or if you suffer for being a Christian. Uh, and the answer comes in what Jesus says because the end result will be that yours will be the kingdom of heaven or your reward will be great in heaven. So we need to learn to be willing to suffer. Yes, perhaps a little, but maybe, who knows, the time may come when we might have to suffer a lot. And Peter takes up the subject of suffering in his epistles and I've selected some verses from there and I wasn't going to read them, I was just going to highlight the points but as I began to look at it further I felt it was important this morning that I read the verses and then highlighted the facts. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. See, it fits in with the theme. Be what you should be in the unbelieving world. Be different. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on his day of visitation. See, suffering takes place when we live honourable lives in an unhonourable society. It will cause the opponents to speak against us. But they need to see, as they do so, our godliness shining through. 1 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 3, verses 20 to 21 and 13 to 17. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for being good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So, from those verses we suffer, not because we've done anything wrong, but because we've done good. We are following Christ's example. 1 Peter 4, 12-19 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So we suffer justly and for the right reasons. Then 1 Peter 5, 9 to 11, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone <coughs> to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. And to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Suffering will always lead to the glory of God. And these verses also give us confidence to trust in God whatever our circumstances or however severe our suffering may become because God himself will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen and he will establish us. In other words, he is with us as we face whatever it is that we have to face. And so I go back to Philippians 1 and 28. Suffering is a clear sign to them, those who cause us to suffer, of their destruction. But to us, of our salvation. And that is from God. So I want us to consider the line of demarcation. It needs to be. It must be a very clear line. And why? Because the one side of the line leads to destruction. But the other side of the line leads to salvation. When I, it comes to the devotions, mentioning them again, I've usually prepared them well in advance. And... Uh, as I was recording the devotion yesterday morning, for tomorrow morning, it just happens to be, I'll put it in brackets, I think it's God's timing, that the line of demarcation comes in tomorrow's devotion, from where we are. And I'm quoting Billy again, as it fitted on Friday night so accurately to what I prepared for this morning, and I paraphrased trying to remember what it was that Billy shared. But he says, when we feel to keep, when we fail to keep to the right or correct side of the line of demarcation, we will fail to be the evidence that we should be to unbelievers that Jesus has made a difference in our lives. See, when it comes to the line of demarcation, there is no middle of the road section which allows us to straggle the two sides like sitting on a fence with one leg dangling on the one side and the other leg dangling on the other side. 
It's as crystal clear as this. We either live for Jesus all out or we are living in the world. We are either on the road that leads to destruction or we're on the road that leads to life everlasting. There's a feature that's found in uh, most new cars today and it's called lane assist. If you've got it, you know what I'm talking about. Lane assist. And when it's switched on, as you're driving along the road, <coughs> it alerts you if you wander from your lane across to the lane either side of you, if you're in the middle or whatever. It is a safety feature. It's intended to keep you on the right road. Now, I have to admit, I find this lane assist a nuisance. So I always switch it off. But I'm using that illustration this morning because I believe that there's a built-in feature in every child of God. It is called the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And initially, he convicted us of our sin and of our need of the Saviour. And once we come to faith, he works in our lives to bring us to be the people that God demands us to be. And can I suggest reverently this morning that the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives as believers is a little like the lane assist in the car. He gives us the occasional prod when we're going off track. And sadly, perhaps, too many believers find that to be a little bit of a nuisance. And so they seek to switch the conviction off because they are only too happy to be crossing the line, the line of demarcation, rather than living ever and only for Jesus and for the things of God. And maybe there are some who wish they could switch me off. As I keep on bringing us the challenge of the word of God. But again, Billy shared this on Friday. It closed with it. And I've already had it in my notes for this morning. We are new creations. My favourite verse. We are new creations. The old should be gone and the new should have come. Our desires should no longer be towards the things of the world that are temporal, but towards the things that matter for eternity. And so we should long for the Holy Spirit to continually be keeping us on the right track, the right side of the road, the right side of the line of demarcation. And maybe for some of us this morning, it is that we may need the Holy Spirit to come with a pot of white paint and to put the markings down again. Don't take a chance this morning. Don't take a chance. Make sure, 100% sure, that you, we, for I'm always speaking to myself as well when I'm sharing the Word of God, make sure that we are living on the right side of the line of demarcation. In the words of the hymn, living for Jesus, a life that is true. Be what we're meant to be. Don't put on a show. Don't be a sham in front of other people. 
but living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free, for this is the pathway of blessing for me and for you as well. See, his love for me is amazing. We've heard of it this morning. We can't put it in a jug. <coughs> I forgot what the other things were now. We can't measure it with a tape measure. We can't measure it in time. His love is just absolutely amazing. And we need more often to stop and think of the wonder of the love of God. He suffered beyond comparison because of his love for each one of us. And in the words of another song, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul. It demands my life. It demands my all. And in the context of what I'm sharing this morning, his love is so amazing and so de divine that it demands that I stay the right side of the line of demarcation, showing to those the other side that Jesus truly has made me into a new creation. And so it takes us back to the verse we started with in the section of Philippians. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I cannot come to the end of these three studies without bringing a challenge. And it's quite simply this, and I'm talking to myself as well as to you this morning. What does the world actually see when they look at my life? What do they see in regards to the example that I show or display as a person who claims to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they see a life that has been genuinely transformed by the power of the gospel? Or do they see a life that is muddled? On the one hand, seeming to confess something, and yet, on the other hand, seemingly giving mixed signals. Do they really see me as different because I stand out and stand up for the right reasons? Or do they just see me as not really being any different to them at all? The song we used to sing, Jesus made the difference in me. Jesus made the difference in me. Can we honestly say that this morning? By the lives that we're living, the things we're involved in, the activities we might be involved in, even some of the places we might go to. Can we really say this morning that Jesus has made a difference in me. May we allow the Holy Spirit to shine the spotlight in every single area of our lives that needs to be changed. Or, as we shared on Friday night, put away, done away with, so that the light of the gospel will radiate from us and cause others, cause others to want to come to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. And as I shared these thoughts over these three studies, my prayer is that the difference will be seen in me. I want my next door neighbours to know 
that I'm different to them. <coughs> See, when we put our recycling out on a Friday morning every other week, and their crate is absolutely full of bottles, gin, whiskey, vodka, and everything else, and mine goes out, it's just a few empty jam jars. I don't need that. I don't need to be filled with the things of the world because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has changed me. My lifestyle is different. And I wanted to speak to my neighbours. And when something else happens in the neighbourhood and there's criticism and everything else about somebody down the road, I don't want to join in with that because I want to be different because Jesus has made a difference in me. The world are watching us when we claim to know Jesus. And it is only when they will see the genuine difference that they will want to know what has made the difference. And we trust that they too will then come to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. So may God help each one of us to live our lives worthy. <coughs> worthy. Worthy of the gospel of Christ because he gave his life for us gave his life for us so that we can spend eternity with him so let's keep that line there let's not straddle it let's not wander let's allow that lame assist of the Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts prompting us keeping us on that road that leads to life everlasting